0: We're all really kids, aren't we? I mean, in, in, in spirit, I, I uh, well, not, not in body, but notice, in spirit, we're children, right? <laughs> some of us don't feel like children at all anymore in our body, and I, uh, I feel some of those pains as well. Join with me in turning to, and, and grab a copy of Scripture there if you don't have one already, to John chapter 20. We want to look at a few very beautiful, uh, powerful words this morning... And, and it comes to us right here in some of the resurrection stories, some of the post-resurrection stories of Jesus. And, uh, and this one is one that is pretty famous, and so you may remember it. Notice these words here. Start reading along with me, and I'm going to read from the RSV. So just beware that if you're reading from the ESV, it's going to be slightly different at certain points. But this is John 20, and we we'll drop down to verse 19. uh, And stand with me as well as we uh, read our gospel reading now, and as is our custom. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus, thank you for your word. Teach us now. Speak to us, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Peace be with you. This is something we say in our liturgy, isn't it? Peace be with you and also with you. And the reason why is because the very first thing Jesus says to his disciples back from the dead is peace be with you. This morning, I want to look at two Sundays, and it's the first Sunday, and it is the second Sunday of the new world, (laughs) and so in these two Sundays, I want you to come with me and look around at what happens in the first account here in the evening, as we are told, and then to see what happens on the second Sunday of Easter. Because this is the beginning of the end. So this is really the first two Easters that we get a little glimpse of. John John, John alone, by the way, gives us this story uh, of Thomas on this second Sunday of Easter. And so thinking about this, notice Easter is not just a day, but it is a season. And in fact, it's 50 days until Pentecost from Easter Sunday, which was last Sunday. And so Jesus is going to... ...present himself alive from the dead to various disciples all over the place, we're told. And at, at some of the time, 500 at one time. And then he's going to ascend into heaven on the 40th day. Then there'll be 10 days and then Pentecost arrives... ...which is the coming of the Spirit sent by Jesus. And so we have this season of seven Sundays... And we want to follow Jesus as he does these revelations, as he appears and listen to what he has to say. Because I think he has something to say to us today. And so every Sunday in this regard is a resurrection Sunday, isn't it? Every, I mean, this is why we continue to meet on the first day of the week as believers. Notice that we, it is when they are gathered together that Jesus appears in their midst, right? Right? So they are gathering on the first day of the week, it doesn't happen the next day, it happens on the first day of the week, and he appears to them, he stands in their midst. And then on the second Sunday, the exact same thing, they're gathered together, surely they would have seen each other during the week, but now again, Jesus appears to them. And I believe he wants to appear every Sunday until he comes back to get us. And so this is why we gather. It's real simple. It's, this is exactly why Sunday is the day of worship, not Saturday for Christians. It is Resurrection Sunday. And so if someone has ever questioned, like, why do you worship? Because, you know, Jesus would have worshipped on Saturday, right? But notice when he appears. It's the first day of the week, and this continues throughout the book of Acts. And so he is there in the midst of his people as we gather. And this is what we find in worship is as we are worshiping the risen Christ, as we gather in His name as believers, He appears in our midst. We don't conjure Him up. No, He appears on His own. Even though the doors were shut, even though they were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus appears. I wonder what sort of fears have locked you up. And you think to yourself, yeah... (laughs) That's just something Jesus doesn't want to deal with. I'm so broken or I'm so fearful of that or I'm so anxious of this that there's no way he can break through that. I've held it for so long. That door has been locked and no one will enter it. Can I tell you something? The risen Christ, Jesus, rose, risen from the dead, he can enter there. He can pass through the wall. He can pass through the walls of our life. And isn't that a beautiful moment when he does? We think we've built up the perfect thing. We think we've presented ourselves well publicly to others. And yet there's something behind that wall, behind that door that no one may know. But Jesus does. And he can show up even in that room. And I think, brothers and sisters, those are the kinds of rooms he wants to show up in. He wants to meet us when we are dealing with fears. He's not scared of our fears. No, he comes and stands in the midst of them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, I can imagine, right? And imagine with me real quick. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said when he showed up, right? I mean, if it was me and I had gone through that whole ordeal and now I'm back from the dead... And it's like you tried to kill me. I'm sorry. I'm back. Hello. Right. I'd probably get a little smart with my and smirking with my remarks to people. Right. It's like, oh, did you mean to kill me? Oops. You know, you didn't do a good job because death can't hold me down. That's not the attitude of Jesus, though, is it? No, it's not to lord it over them. And in fact, you know, I, I imagine that after being spat upon, after being beaten and mocked to actually be found in the right and vindicated, boy, I'd had to bite my tongue not to come back to Pilate and say, boo. (laughs) At Herod's lowest moment, not to come and say, hello. This is not what Jesus does. He does not appear to Pilate. He does not appear to Herod, or any other highfalutin religious people or governmental people. No, he appears to those he loved, those who had betrayed him. And I also think there's a bit of apprehension in the air with the disciples, right? I mean, the last time they saw the Lord, he was being taken from them, betrayed, and they were all running away, not running to him for help, not running with him, but away from him. This was the last time some of them had seen Jesus. Can you imagine when he shows back up? A little apprehension. You know how it is. I remember as a kid when I had done something wrong, I, I knew it. And then when it was reported to my father and I knew he knew it, oh boy, that was not a good thing. One time I remember I'd acted up in uh, Sunday school. Oh, actually, it was Sunday evening, and uh, the teacher simply left the room and went and sat in the worship service and left us kids over there. Now, my dad was preaching, and he sees our teacher walk in and sit down. Do you think that's going to be a good day for this guy? <laughs> no, no. So Justin goes home with great freedom because he wasn't doing anything that night. I played as long as I could until I knew it was time for me to come in, and I tried to quickly slip by and my father was sitting in the uh, recliner, and I zipped by and up the stairs. I was gonna go on to bed and act like nothing ever happened, and about halfway up the stairs, Marshall. And of course, discipline ensued. We know when we've done something wrong and we've hurt the other person, when we see them again, there's apprehension, right? We don't know how they're gonna respond to this, and we kinda are looking at a glance to try to figure out what the response is going to be. Can I tell you, here's the response that Jesus gives. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He doesn't start getting onto them. He doesn't say, guys, where were you in my time of need? He doesn't play the victim. Instead, he says, peace be with you. I imagine that the disciples' hearts were overwhelmed at that moment with grace. But he doesn't stop there. He then shows them his hands and his side. He bears forth the wounds of his redemption for us. In other words, he doesn't try to hide them. And neither should we. Are we not all wounded? We've all been hurt by this world. We bear scars in our very body, don't we? Of mistakes that we've made. And in our souls, etched deep in, some of them. And we try to hide them. We try to push them down. But Christ, he leads with them. Why? Because they are for the redemption of the world. Could I submit to you that Jesus wants to use your woundedness. He doesn't want to champion it so other people can be wounded. No, that's asinine. No, no, no. He wants to heal them ...and transform them so that you can bear forth the marks of being wounded... ...but transformed for redemption. He wants to use them for signs of hope... ...just as he bears even now the same signs of hope. Do you know that even when Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand... ...notice what Revelation 5, 6 says... This is after he's already ascended. When John sees him, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. You see, he still is the lamb slain, but he's victorious. And he still bears the marks. Now, why is he bearing these marks? Surely, in glorification, he could have gotten rid of these, right? With this new body, but he is showing that this is the same body. This is not another body that has risen from the grave, but this is the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the one who was crucified for you and for me and for them. And we too. Our body, the one we're looking at right now, the one when we embrace one another and hug one another and speak to one another, it's that body that will be resurrected and transformed. No longer with the ailments of sin. No longer with the limitations of sinfulness, but instead a body free to worship and praise God and love God and love one another to fulfill the great commandment. You see, this is the risen Lord and his, in his hands, in his very hands are engraved his love for us. Notice what Isaiah 49, 16 says. It's a beautiful prophecy. Even before crucifixion was invented, okay, he says this. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. In other words, when Jesus looks down at his hands, He sees his love for us, for you. And we should look to these scars. We should look to the cross as something redemptive for us. Isn't that good news that the deep scars in your life, he wants to take those, heal you, transform them so that they are now signs of peace, so that they are now signs of hope. You know, we like to use the good things in our life, right? Like, you know, the things we're good at, that's the ones that we want to lift up and say, all right, Lord, have this. And he says, I want this. I want to heal you here. Maybe you've been anxious. Maybe you deal with anxiety or maybe you deal with depression. Maybe you deal with past hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, envy. Maybe Maybe you're envious of everyone around you. You think, why can't I? Why don't I have? There's so many different sinful problems that embed themselves down within us. I don't presume to know what you deal with, but I know this. Whatever it is, that's what Jesus wants to use to save the world. In other words, he wants to take that brokenness, heal it, and transform it into something beautiful. That's the kind of grace Jesus is offering today. Now he says, peace be with you. This term peace, of course, is connected, has to be connected to this term shalom, right? Which most people are familiar with, which was a typical greeting for a Jew. And Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. This term shalom has to do with harmony. Not just having no conflict, but rather harmony. Things being lined up as they should be. Kind of has the idea of a political issue of things being lined up in the way ...they were created to be, but also of fruitfulness. It's it's about bearing fruit. In other words, Christ's peace is not like the peace of the world... ...where we're just getting to zero. You know, and even playing where there's no conflict. That's not... No, no, he doesn't stop there. Instead, he wants to go further into bearing fruit in our life... ...and in the lives of others. He's not trying to get us to zero. He's going positively to say, no, I want you... ...in step with me, and then prosperity and fruit... ...and all of these good things that can then be shared to the world. You see, Jesus understood that it's not the peace of Pax Romana, right? During the Roman peace, you know, the Rome, that's what they called it, right? The Roman peace. <laughs> Do you know about the Romans? <laughs> uh, they were far from peaceful. But because they were so vicious and violent... They created peace around the world because no one would come against them. They were that vicious. You see, that is the peace of the world. The peace of the world is always instituted with violence, isn't it? When we talk about, oh, they need peace over there, what what do we do? We send guns, we send bombs, we send planes and trains and all sorts of things, weapons of war. That's not the way Jesus comes, though, is it? That's not the kind of peace he gives Isn't that, oh boy, isn't it going to be a beautiful day when the weapons of war are turned into weapons of peace? When there's true justice in the land? That day is coming, friend. It has already begun. That's the whole first day of the week thing. It has begun. That is the old way of dealing with... That's the world's way of dealing with things. That time has passed and there is no power in that way. That's why even Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., they both believed Jesus in his way of nonviolence and of peace. And you know what? They accomplished quite a bit just politically. And you can critique their own personal lives and this sort of thing, personal faith in Jesus, but here's the thing... They went that way and established uh, freedom from from Great Britain, for one, in India, and then civil rights here in America. But Jesus doesn't want to stop there. He wants to provide peace in you. And it's through nonviolence. He is not here to hurt you. He is here to help. But we have to go his way. It's not our way. It won't be through our means. Instead, it's upside down to the world's way. And guess what? How the world is won is not through us going out and being violent, screaming at people and shoving them up against the wall, accept Jesus or die, you know. No, no, no. Instead, we serve a Lord who offers peace and it is the love of God that draws people to repentance. It's his love. And I think the disciples were experiencing this sort of love. No, this is not the peace of the UN. It is not the peace of the USA. This is the peace of the king of the universe. (laughs) And it's his peace that he gives to us and then wants us to give and extend to others. This is why we say, peace be with you. And so what I want to actually do today is, is when we leave here, I want you to greet one another with just that, peace be with you. And then I would love for you this week, To think about someone you're sideways with. To envision that situation where there's not peace. There's something weird going on. Whatever it might be. Relationships are weird at times, aren't they? And you know what I want you to do? Offer peace. Just proactively. Look, I know it may mean that they think they won the argument. Can we be okay in knowing that God knows the truth? You know, I take great solace in this in certain situations in my life where things just, whoo, it got a little messy and I don't even know exactly what happened, but we're not on the same terms we were. You know what I have to say at the end of the day is my conscience is clear and God knows how I operated during that period of time. And listen, if somebody brings something to light to me, I will absolutely ask for forgiveness and lay myself before you. Um, it's just the way I do business. I mean, I, look, I've been wrong so much in my life that it's like, it's no surprise to me. Like, oh, okay, I missed that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah, I mean, Jessica has thankfully been there to help me at times. She's like, honey, you realize they didn't take that the way you uh, <laughs> said it, right? I said, oh, no, no, I said this. Yeah, but, right, and I've had to... Uh, eat pie as they say so <clears throat> offer someone peace peace be with you peace be with you let it be the peace of Christ not one where we're trying to angle our I'm keeping up with what you're doing I'm going to angle to make you wrong to show you up no let's let's stop that and be peacemakers because our Lord and Savior was a peacemaker and he offered Shalom, harmony, fruitfulness, prosperity for others. Well, (laughs) he stands among them. He says to them, Peace be still, or peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands inside, and then again says, Peace be with you. I think he said this again because he wants us to understand that he comes. ...in peace and for peace. In other words, he wants our hearts to be still before him. Just as the storm was raging and he said, peace, be still. And it stops. So too, I believe I have experienced his peace in my own life. And I would love for you just to ask him. I know the storm looks crazy. I know it looks impossible to stop. And it is with you, it is with me, but with our Lord Jesus. Just ask him, Lord, stop the storm in my life. I need a reprieve. I need your peace. I need your rest. You know, the number seven is what we call a perfect number because it's a full week, right? And each week ends, guess what? With rest, right? The Sabbath. Sabbath was rest. And this first day of the week begins a new week... ...but it will end in eternal rest... ...which is an idea of peace in the land. Aren't you in need of rest like that? Oh, I am, dear brothers and sisters. And Jesus offers us now His peace... ...so we can enter fully into His full rest... ...when the end of the world comes on that final day. Well, He then breathes on them. Now this is a little striking if you've never read this story, he he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." And for John, remember, John is always always has an eye to the Old Testament, right? And he's using these big images in the Old Testament. So we want to be steeped in the Old Testament. If you're not, let me just remind you that in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, remember what he did? He formed Adam. And then he did what? Breathed in him the breath of life, which is the Holy Spirit. This term, breath, wind, spirit, it's all the same word, ruach in Hebrew. And he breathes in him, and he became a living being. Now, Jesus, on this first day, notice this creation, this new creation, he breathes on his disciples and said, Receive the Spirit. And remember, the Spirit shows up in verse 2 of Genesis 1. The Spirit is not an afterthought. The Spirit is not a New Testament idea. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is established even in the beginning. And we were created to have the Holy Spirit in us. We are to breathe the breath of God. And He breathes here on them and says, Receive the Spirit. And then He calls them right into a ministry. You see, because we never received the Spirit just for ourselves, it was a breathing act, right? We receive. Sometimes it's just good to take a deep breath, right? Mm, Fresh air in the morning. That's my my favorite kind of breathing. You know, I'll go outside in just that crisp morning air and take a big deep breath and look toward the east where the sun's rising. I love that. It's a beautiful moment for me most most days. Well, we breathe in this fresh air. But we don't just I come back in the house, hey guys, let's do it. You know, no, we breathe it back out, right? There's an in. ...and an out. Grace is given... ...and then it's given. (laughs) Right? We breathe it in, we breathe it out. This is the Christian life. This is not for us just to have and... ...thanks a lot, see you later, tuck that away... ...and move on. No, no, no. It's to be given. And so the Holy Spirit is given... ...so that we then can move out... ...in ministry to the world. Which is what? He tells them... ...the forgiveness of sins... In other words, you have a ministry of forgiveness of sins. You've been forgiven, therefore forgive. And Jesus couples this, doesn't he? In his teachings, he couples this and says, if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven. Forgiveness is not an option for Christians. We must forgive. We must forgive. And listen to me. We will need God's help to forgive people. If we knew in this room the hurt that others have caused, if we knew in this room the hurt that we have caused, others, it'd probably bring most of us to tears if we just sat around right now and just told how hurt we've actually been from others, how nasty we've been treated. Friend, we can't live in that nastiness. We cannot live in that past hurt. Jesus wants to move us out in forgiveness to new life. Jessica and I would not have made it two weeks if forgiveness is not a part of our marriage. Anybody with me? Or do you have like, you know, an exemplar marriage that we need to hear about? (laughs) Um, It might be a fake one. Okay. People that talk about, oh, yeah, we've never gotten gotten to a fight in 40 years. Like, what, do you talk to each other? Because uh, (laughs) this often happens, Right. Listen, forgiveness must be our ministry. It is your ministry. It's not just, not just pastor's ministry. It is given to all who have the Holy Spirit. And friends, if we have been forgiven, and oh, thank you, Jesus, I have, then I better be willing to then give it to another. That was the first Sunday. <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit here in the story. That was the first The second Sunday, which, by the way, today is what? The second Sunday of Easter. So now the story, we're lined up. We're in harmony. We're shalom, right? And it says this. It says, a week later, which is the eighth day, all right? Eight days later. And remember, seven's a perfect number. Eight is a new week. So it's a new day. And here, again, they're in a room together, just like we are now. And guess who shows up? Jesus shows up, right? This time... Thomas is there. Now, Thomas wasn't there the first time. And Thomas says, You know, we read it. He says, Look, unless I touch and see, I I won't believe. And we give Thomas a hard time, don't we? There's there's many of us that have, you know, doubting Thomas. Oh, I would have believed, you know. But it's interesting that the disciples didn't believe the testimony of the women earlier that morning. Remember that? Now they believe. But then Thomas doesn't believe the disciples' testimony. So there's this sort of witness and testimony that must be believed. And they really don't have much to say. For Thomas to say what he said, they're like, I get it, man. I get it. I'm with you. Like, Thomas is us because we, too, doubt. We, too, have our doubts, each and every one of us. And there are things that still aren't quite ironed out. But we still have faith, right? We still show up just like Thomas did. Thomas could have been like, look, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. And they're like, well, hey, we're gathering next, next Sunday. Yeah, well, I don't believe. That's a, a doubt that leads to death. But a doubt that leads to faith is one that is willing to keep doing the things, keep staying in the means of which we can believe. No one will believe if we cut off communication. That's like saying to somebody, tell me about this new thing because I don't believe it. Okay, stop talking. How will we receive? How will we know if we don't hear? And it's through hearing that we believe. We must stay in. If you're a person that's filled with several doubts right now in your life about, I don't know about this or that concerning Jesus or God. Friend, can I just ask you to stay in the means of hearing his word proclaimed week after week? I think he will move, and he has been moving, and he is is moving even now in some of you to help you believe, to help give you eyes of faith and ears to hear. You see, we give Thomas a, a tough time, but really he showed up. He showed up. And Jesus, he doesn't berate Thomas, but he does invite him to do exactly what he said would help him believe. What would help you believe? What would help you believe? Now, here's the danger is we cannot demand of God our way. In other words, God, I won't believe if you don't show me exactly like this. We don't tell God what to do. And his way is to do it through the testimony of others, which is exactly why John says here, look, Jesus did other signs, but I've written this so that you believe. This is God's way of belief. And so, but I love, I love how God does things. He will give us little signs, won't He? He won't press Himself on us so much that we have to believe. No, instead, just as it says here in the ESV, they yet have come to blesser those who have not seen and yet come to believe. We all come to faith, don't we? And it takes some time to come to faith sometimes. And for those of us with a critical eye like me... I don't trust most things. Jessica tells me something in the news. I say, how do you know that? Where'd you get that information? I investigate it because that's just how I am. And so I totally get doubt. I am doubt filled most of the week about things. All right. And there's a process that I go through, but we cannot just doubt and then leave. That is not a doubt that leads to faith. There is a doubt that leads to faith, and it's the kind of doubt that Thomas had one that is still willing to see and to hear and to show up. Do you have that kind of faith? Have you been making efforts to hear? Do you take any time? I don't ever hear from God, and yet you never even stop to hear. You say you never hear from God, and yet you never even crack open his word. Something that can literally, you can just take your phone and get this free app, and it reads to you on your commute uh, to work and from work. Like super simple. And yet we say, oh, I don't hear from God. Are we in his means? Are we in the ways that he can speak to us and show us? If we cover our eyes, of course, yeah, we'll never see. If we cover our ears, we'll never hear. Open them up. Be open to Jesus standing among you, showing himself to you. And he does this in a host of ways, but nowhere more clearly than in his church, in his body. So, two Sundays, and here we are on the second Sunday. Will you believe? Will you be like Thomas and turn that doubt to belief? With God's help, you can. And not only that, will you pick up this ministry of forgiveness, this ministry of reconciliation this ministry, this servant like ministry of peace or will you let doubt suffocate you instead step out in faith, get in the way, get in the means of his grace, reading the bible praying to God just tell him Lord I don't have the faith I need you know what he's going to say already know it's not like some big thing to him he already knows some of us need to say lord i have faith but help my unbelief he will he can like thomas we need to say he is our lord and he is god so is he lord of your life or are you the lord of your life is he god Or are you playing God? John tells us that he wrote this so that we have the sign we need to believe. So don't don't doubt, but believe. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.